Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Carrier. Turn to the experts. I, I, I always get one question that comes up time and time again, and it's about building new home construction. What would I do? Or the question is, what would you do? if you were building a new home. So I thought I'd take just a couple minutes here to go over if I was to build new construction right now, here's the steps I would do. The first thing I would do, obviously, you want to pick a lot. You want to have an area that's as flat as possible to build the home. Because when you got to start doing dirt work, it gets expensive quick. So let's let's just make the assumption we got a great lot ready to go. First thing, get a soils test. The soils test is going to drill down, test the soil, and determine what type of foundation you can put on that home and not have to worry about foundation issues in the future. Now, does that guarantee you that you'll never have a foundation problem? No, but it does put you a big step ahead of the game. And follow the soils engineer's report on what type of foundation or underpinning, if needed, you do. Sometimes uh, design engineers and contractors will come back to you and say, well, here's the risk. Uh, the soil has a four-inch potential to swell, and if we only go down 10 foot instead of 15 feet, uh, you know, you still could be looking at two inches. That's an acceptable risk. Well, yeah, they're out of here in... A year when the house is finished you're stuck with it from here forward do it right the first time to fix it later I guarantee is more expensive second on the walls just use a standard 2x4 wall on 16 inch centers don't go this 24 stuff uh, I typically like to put plywood on the entire outside to stiffen the home up now some contractors will go in with the uh, oil-soaked boards that are soft and all that stuff and just plywood on the corners. Do it right. Plywood all the way. And then I would use foam insulation on the walls. Fiberglass in the attic. You hear me say this all the time. The main reason for that, the foam inch for inch is going to give me the highest R value and the fiberglass in the attic is still going to allow it to breathe. And t people will say, well, yeah, but the foam seals it and and uh, it'll do a better job of insulating. Well, quite frankly, R39 in the attic is R39. I don't care if it's foam or if it's fiberglass. Your energy savings is the same. It's still just an R39 insulation. And you don't need to worry about the air infiltration in the attic. Let the attic breathe. That'll help with your energy consumption as well. So, talking about letting it breathe and the other reason for letting the house breathe is the AC system. If you put foam on the entire home, you now are dependent on the air conditioning system to bring fresh air in to the home. You don't have to do that if you use the fiberglass in the attic. So it's not that I'm against foam insulation. Use it in the walls, but let's use it wisely. On that AC system, 14 sear nowadays is the minimum really that you can put in. But I really would want you to take a look at a 16 or even 18 sear. And the main reason for that, the cost that you put into it, you reap back in energy savings. Uh, 
I really would encourage you to also take a look at a variable speed type system. So if you buy a variable speed that's a 16 or 18 sear, that means when that system is working at full capacity, it's operating at that 16 or 18 sear. Well, most of the time it's only operating at 30 to 70% capacity. You know what that means? You're saving money. Your sear rating is actually higher than what it's rated at. But because the way the government does their testing, they have to do it as though it's running full bore all the time. So 16 to 18 sear, look at a variable speed. Water heater, go tankless. I don't care if you're electric or gas, go tankless. It's endless supply of hot water. And if you're not using any hot water at the time, it's not costing you a nickel to operate it. Uh, the water lines, use PEX. Yeah, you can go with copper, which is a lot more expensive. You can go with uh, PVC, but really PEX right now is the best way to go. It's a flexible uh, it's easy to install and easy to maintain. You virtually have nothing to do. And should it ever freeze, it doesn't break it. Go PEX. On the roof, 16-inch centers again, plywood, uh, no chipboard at all, and use whatever shingle you want to make the house look great. Now, windows, they're pretty much regulated by the government as far as energy efficiency, so you can get those. Just get with aesthetically is pleasing to you and trees keep them as far away from the home as you can to avoid having foundation problems down the road because as that tree grows it will take moisture out from under the foundation that can cause foundation problems that's the basics that I would do if I was to build myself a new home hope that helps you out Stephen Allen welcome to Texas Home Improvement Absolutely. Uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Kim. Uh, long-time listener, second-time caller. Thank you. Uh, I, got, I got a question about uh, garage door insulation. You know, it's your standard overhead. Uh, I guess it's about an inch and a half or maybe an inch deep or thick, as far yep. as that goes. Uh, it's got four panels, you know, standard double-wide. It's not two singles or anything like that. But anyway, rate, i tell you what I did. I did some research online, and I was thinking after the fact I probably should, should have called you first, but... Uh, what I was able to find for insulation options, and this is just what my findings were, was they had the uh, uh, styrofoam board, I want to say it was R3, insulation value source, and then there was, uh, I think there's an Owens Corning option out there where you use these cheesy little pegs to kind of help it stick to the metal in the centers kind of deal, and you lay it in there. I don't recall the R value of that, but the best thing I could find was a uh, gradient barrier type uh, that they claim is R8 equivalent for installation purposes, and from what I understand, according to the instructions, I went ahead and picked up a roll of it so I could go ahead and get it done, but uh, according to the instructions, I need to leave an air gap in there, and that's how it works, I guess, the properties of it, so on and so forth. My question is, is there anything else I could do to that garage door besides what I've already got for it, which is the radiant barrier at R8, to help increase the R value a little bit? Could I put still go to put the uh, fiberglass insulation inside that area? Are you going to heat and cool the garage? Yes, sure. Okay. If you're going to heat and cool the garage, then you could put insulation if you wanted to, but quite frankly, the radiant barrier is the way to go. Uh, radiant barriers really should be replacing a lot of insulation in homes nowadays, but energy codes, as they have been written, require insulation. 
but quite frankly, radiant barriers do a better job than insulation does nowadays. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, because we already got weather stripping around the top and the sides, and then there's a pretty good uh, uh, rubber weather strip on the bottom of the door. So uh, we've sealed as much as possible from the outside. We're just sure. trying to keep it temporary conversion for now so that, uh, you know, uh, we may go back to a garage here next year or something. But uh, yep. right now we're just trying to fit our needs for the present. Uh, okay, so really there's nothing else I could really add to it other than the radiant nah. barrier for today? Yep, radiant barrier is going to be the way to go. Very good, sir. That answers my questions. Thanks again. Steve, have a Merry Christmas. You too, sir. Uh, let's head to Louisville. Patrick, how are you today? Doing just fine. I've got two quick questions for you. I've okay. uh, got a house full of uh, ceramic and porcelain tile that I uh, need to know the best way to get that up, and or if I need to even pull it up to lay down uh, some vinyl plank uh, flooring. And yes. if so, what's the best way to get it up? Well, you you would want to take it up because the vinyl plank's going to require a really smooth surface. Uh, mm -hmm. And so if you didn't take it up, you would be putting floor leveler over the, the tile, and now you're getting into mm. too many layers of stuff. So yeah. Yeah. they actually make a bit that goes onto a chipping hammer or, or mm -hmm. even the, even the uh, Bosch electric jackhammers, and it's a mm -hmm. flat blade. They make mm -hmm. a cart then that you can just roll this thing around and it slides up under the tiles and, and pops them up. Okay. And it's available okay. at the rental stores. Yes, I've, I've seen that. And uh, I've also heard of a, a, a device uh, made by a company called Crane that uh, is more of a, uh, like a edger type on wheels that just chips the... Uh, does exactly what you're talking about with the electric mm -hmm. jackhammer, except it's on wheels. But uh, it, I've got slab. I'm a little worried about chipping my slab in the process of getting up the tile. Nah, you don't have to worry about it. Okay. It, it, it'll it be fine. And and what I was talking about, uh, you may be talking about the same thing I am, because you take the that chipping hammer that I was talking about, and it goes into a cart that is putting it on wheels. You know, I, I know what you're talking about. This is something okay. different. It, okay. it gets right down low up underneath it. But uh, yeah. is that vinyl luxury vinyl planking? Is there a particular commercial brand that you recommend or or, or purse installer here in the area? Because it may not be worth me even trying to do all that myself. Um, you know, it, it really doesn't cost that much to have an installer do it. If you'll stop by okay. one of the floor and decor locations, uh, in mm -hmm. fact, in Louisville, there's one up on 121. Okay. Uh, they have installers that they can refer you f to for the local stuff. Okay. Do you need a vapor barrier or anything with the vinyl planking or pad no. or anything on the slab? Okay. Nope. I had heard the most expensive part of that was getting your the tile removed. <laughs> it is. Oh. Okay. And, and that's and that's going to be the messiest messiest as well because it's going to it is going to reproduce dust and and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And really, it's a lot's going to depend on how that tile was installed. If they used a mortar-based product, it'll probably come up nice, quick, and easy. If they used okay. a synthetic-type uh, adhesive, then yep. it gets a lot more complicated to this, get them up. This is 25-year-old flooring, so and it looks like mortar. So Yeah, I'm, I'm probably, I, I think it's going to pop right up for you. You may have to okay. do a little floor cleaning you know, afterwards, but it, mm -hmm. it'll be fine. What kind of cleaning? Just, just uh, well, scraping. there may be some little spots of mortar left. When oh you get yes, the tile up. 
Uh, sometimes I just take a floor, big floor grinder, looks like a big okay. floor polisher, and run right. it across to get all that stuff up. It, uh, okay. it, it goes quick and easy that way. Is there a particular brand of vinyl planking you recommend, uh, something that's going to hold up? You know, there there is a lot of them. Uh, I've used the okay. Wilson Art in the past, and it did well, but uh, I don't have a particular one that I say, hey, this this is the one to go with because that technology has been changing so fast in the last right. five years or so that uh, ones that were not so good years ago are now great. Okay. I just need to do some more research on it then. Yeah, stop stop at the floor and decor. They, they'll have all kinds that you can check out the differences. Sounds great. Thank you, my friend, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Take care. Jan, this is Jim. Welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Thank you so much. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about shipping containers. Okay. Um, what's the best way to ground them and to insulate them? And also, how are you able to use cell phones and computers inside of them um, easily. Okay. What do you well, have to do for that? Let's start with insulating them. You know, you don't have to worry about weather leaking in because it's all steel. So unless it rusts through, you don't have air infiltration. So typically, you can either use a fiberglass if you want, or the best for to me is to use the spray foam because inch for inch you get the best insulating value out of the spray foam and it can be sprayed right onto the metal uh so to me that's the the best way to insulate those things you could also use a radiant barrier because it can help block the the radiant heat that comes through um as far as cell phone use you know it's really going to depend on how strong the signal is in the area if you got a weak signal to begin with the the metal containers can be enough to stop the signal but if you've got a strong signal outside typically you have a good signal inside as well and if not you can use a power booster which can enhance the signal from the cell towers uh, and most of the cell services like Verizon and AT&T and them have those boosters available that you can install okay. and i forgot i forgot what your other questions were how do you ground them? Uh, just like you would ground any other electric service, you'll you'll have a grounding wire push put into the ground, and then uh, you can attach it to the containers. Your electric system is going to be grounded anyways, and so that will typically take care of most a anything that you would have to worry about. Okay, so you don't use uh, lightning rods and all that kind of thing you, anymore. You can, but you don't have to. Okay. Okay, well, thank you so much. Are you are, are you thinking about doing one? Uh, well, I have thought about it in the past, and I do own one shipping container. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to keep it, though. Yeah. I'm kind of undecided what I'm going to do right now. Okay. Well... Uh, wish you luck on that then. Okay, thank you so much. You bet. Bye -bye. Take care. And you know, one th one of the things I I I failed to to bring up is the sound. You know that metal really does it, especially if you put the foam insulation on it, does a remarkable job of stopping the sound infiltration from outside. 
So yeah, there there's there are some advantages to building that way, and of course, uh, you know they're they're extremely sturdy as far as in worrying about intrusions or anything like that. You know, when we left on the last hour, we were talking about getting started on a bathroom remodel. The biggest thing you have to keep in mind when you're getting started on a bathroom remodel or any type of remodeling project, you know, everybody can be buying the same materials. It's the skill set or the service that the individuals putting it in provide that make the difference. And that's where the difference in the prices typically come in as well. You know, if you got a company who uh, hasn't done a lot of work or isn't real um, detail-oriented, doesn't do a great job, they're obviously going to be less expensive than a company who takes the time to make sure things are being done right the first time. So if you're hiring the cheapest guy you find, it is definitely a buyer beware situation. Uh, so, you know, that's really one of the big things you have to watch is who's going to do the work. Because if they mess up the materials, a lot of times they're not reusable. You end up having to buy new materials as well. Elliot, how can I help you? Good afternoon. Thank you so much for taking my call. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. So, can you tell me why I am so nervous about caulking my bathroom tub? I, I you know, I, I have. <laughs> you, you don't. You don't want it to look bad when you're done. <laughs> <laughs> I have. I bought the materials months ago, but for whatever reason, I just cannot take that step to actually do it. It just makes me so nervous. And um, I was just wondering if you could give me some tips or sure. just some sort of motivation or, and all I need to do is just go around, you know, the, just the edge of the tub. It's not a full towel talking job. Just, yeah. you know. Elliot, I'm going to put you on hold for just a second here. And when we come back, we'll okay. talk about how easy it is to, to take care of that caulking around the tub. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Elliot. Yes, on sir. Tub caulking. Have you cleaned out the old caulk yet? No, I haven't touched it. Okay. You need to get because a box cutter. Because I didn't know cutter. when I'd be able to get around to it. Sure. Just get a box cutter and a razor blade scraper. Clean out that old caulking. And make sure it's nice and dry because sometimes moisture gets behind that old caulking and that's where you start getting the mildews coming through. Uh, but when it's time to put the new stuff on, you just cut the end of the caulking tube off, poke a nail down in there, and start squeezing it into place. The smaller the hole, typically the better off you're going to be. Just run your bead along there. And I use my finger to actually smooth it out to give it a nice finish when it's done being installed. If you didn't get enough on there, you can always add a little bit more and smooth it again with your finger. Now, you got to do that before it sets up, though. So, you know, do one side at a time. Once you get the side looking good, then you can move on to the next side. And realistically, you need all of 20 minutes to do the entire tub. Wow. So uh, as far as lining it up with tape and nah, all the extra stuff. all that stuff. It, it, okay. It, it, 
You know, it, it, actually, if you go to our website, thipro.com, there's a video on there uh, of how to caulk the tub, and uh, I think that'll help you out. It, it's real simple. Now, when we left, I was talking to Joe and you. Listen, Joe, they, they did a yeah, repair across the road on someone's water line, and then your water line seems to, or your water seems to have slowed down on pressure, correct? That, that's correct. And it's still low? It's still low, yeah. And I don't know now that, that these uh, water people did anything inside their house. I only saw no. them outside the house. Right. At the master. It was probably something, a leak at the meter or something that they were fixing or changing the meter. You know, you never know what, what's going on out there. But uh, the the water lines are notorious for getting leaks and the especially where the meters are and so they have to come out and fix it and what can happen when they do that is debris gets into the lines and can go and start clogging things up so in in your case let me ask you a couple quick questions i know your faucets are running slow what about the spigot to the bathtub no no i intended to tell you that every every other water outlet on my property is good. The yep. bathrooms, the lots and the faucets, and uh, yeah, they're all good. It's it's just the one. Yes, yes. Now I will say this: the uh, the faucet at the kitchen sink, uh, it it's pretty corroded with calcium yeah. and mineral deposits. Yeah. So I, I do know that I'm uh, that when I have this attended to, I'm going to have to replace the faucet. And I don't know if that's the only problem, but I just thought it was strange that. It occurred at the same time that, that they were across the street. Well, more than likely, all that happened was when they were doing the repair across the street, because you guys will be typically on the same water main, uh, you know, the, the city yes. water line. It probably broke yes. a little crud loose. You turned on your faucet, and guess who got the crud coming through their faucet? It was you, yeah. And, yeah. and the aerator is probably plugged up. Just okay. uh, at, at the end um, of the spigot. Take that off, clean it out, and I'll bet you'll have full pressure again. This comes from Mike, and he says, Hey, would y'all tell me as many names as you want to of an honest, diligent, America-loving appraisers for residential homes? You know, it used to be 20 years ago, you just would call up an appraiser and get an appraisal for a property. Nowadays, it goes through basically a clearinghouse, and so you have to call the clearinghouse, and it's a random draw who you're going to get. It's no, it's no longer uh, where you can pick and choose the appraiser. So, uh, truthfully, because of that, I don't have anybody that I can uh, send your way, but. Uh, you know, the, the and and I will tell you the whole reason they did that was because it, it got into where appraisers were putting stuff too high and you know weren't weren't really being I won't say truthful about it, but not necessarily everything totally up front. And so to curb that, now it's random and you don't know who you're you're gonna get and you know, that keeps the, the buddy buddy thing from from happening. Very disappointed with the roofing contractor I hired following the high winds event last June here in Dallas. He contracted for roof replacement and just roofed over existing roof despite roofing leaks from the original compromised roof.
Would appreciate a recommendation for a home inspector to review the work before this contractor receives final payment. Can you help? Well, Carl, here's what I would recommend you do. Instead of getting a home inspector out there, call the shingle manufacturer and make have them come out. Uh, you know, because one, the recommendation by a lot of the shingle manufacturers is to strip the roof. So you want to, you know, double check that with this roofing manufacturer. Two, if your contract called for a replacement, not a re-roof, I would make them strip it. Here's why. The longevity of your roof has been compromised. Not because it had a leak before, but because it's got the old shingles under it. Uh, a light hailstorm will tend to damage a roof when it's a re-roof like you have now. Uh, which is basically a re-roof is shingle on top of shingle. Where if it was stripped and you get it down to the hard plywood, you are less likely with smaller hail to have an issue. The other thing to remember, that old shingles, as they age, they start to curl up. Now that's going to put pressure up from underneath. It is not unusual for you to lose at least a third of the age of those uh, of the life of that shingle when it's put on over the top of old shingles. So as much as possible, you always want it stripped. But pull your contract. If they were supposed to strip it and they didn't, make them redo it. Don't pay them the second half. But again, instead of calling a home inspector, because quite frankly, the home inspector is not going to do you a lot of good on this one, call the roofing manufacturer. Talk with them. They have the ability to put pressure on the roofers because they won't let them dignify that they're uh, designate that they're a uh, certified installer and different things like that. So you, you'll have much more pressure applied to them that way. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.